Hello, hello, baby. We back. Episode 8. Right? I should probably, like, write down what episode we're on so I don't sound like a dumbass at the start of every one of these. Or I'm just, like, guessing. I'm pretty sure it's 8. I'm pretty sure it's 8. Welcome to episode 8, I think, of The Bentley Show. I am your host, Scott Bentley. Uh, Big weekend. Big weekend to recap. A lot of stuff went down. Um, The Detroit Tigers. uh, It is now official that CJ Crone will not be coming back. What's happening to my hair here? Jeez. Um, CJ Crone signs a deal with the Colorado Rockies, as well as... Uh, after my last episode, I said, or during my last episode, rather, I brought up my projected opening day lineup and I didn't even do like who would be batting where in the lineup, just literally who would start at each position on opening day. And apparently what I said was like extremely, uh, controversial and people were, were in my mentions the entire day. Uh, so we're going to take a look at that and, and figure out how on earth a team that's going to lose a hundred games could, could possibly have this much controversy around who's going to play what position, because I, I don't understand, uh, either of the two people that most people think should be starting that I didn't have on there and especially one of them. So we're going to look at that. Apparently this, this completely non-controversial I thought was common knowledge thing I made that that was not supposed to have any any sort of backlash at all um had a lot apparently so we're gonna look at that the Detroit Pistons man what a fun weekend for that team we have won three of our last four and are on a winning streak for the first time this season uh, we're going to talk about all the standouts. Sadiq Bay, obviously the most noteworthy one. Uh, Beef. Beef. Uh, Plumley, Josh Jackson, every everybody, everybody. Jeremy Grant. So we'll go through the weekend that was uh, one of the most exciting weekends of Pistons basketball we've had in a while, to be honest with you. Um, the Detroit Red Wings only played one game, I believe, since we last spoke. I'm pretty sure the first game of the Preds series was on Thursday night, so we covered it on Friday. Uh, we definitely did because I remember yelling about it. <laughs> um, so the w- Wings will discuss the most recent game, uh, then an interesting roster move and what that could possibly mean for the team. Uh, and then the Lions, we're going to talk about uh, Stafford's goodbye interview and then uh, a little bit at the end, take a look forward and, and talk about if my opinion of uh, what we do at seven and what our draft strategy is in general has changed since, you know, the first time we talked about it a couple weeks ago. All right. Again, thank you for listening so much. This is the Bentley Show. I'm Scott Bentley. Let's get into it. The Detroit Baseball Tigers. Uh, Like I said, CJ Crone officially not coming back. Crone was a... uh, a one-year signing last year. He came in along with Scope. Uh, him and Scope were our two best hitters, but like a week and a half or two weeks, maybe not even, into the season, Crone uh, got hit by a ground ball in the ankle, required surgery, and missed the remainder of the year, which blows because he was putting together a really nice year. He was putting together a, a crazy year, honestly. And, and again, it's, it was such a small sample size, you know. You can't imagine that it was going to be sustained, but um, at one point he had like a sub 200 batting average with a with an over 900 OPS. You know how ridiculously hard that is. That means you are literally only getting walked and hitting home runs. That's pretty much what what that means. You're walking a ton, and you're hitting a lot of home runs, and, and you're not doing anything else. That's that's pretty much what that means. So he. He, uh, he was doing that for, for like, there was a three or four game stretch where that was true. He had like a 188 or a 190 batting average and like a 910 OPS. Um, so seeing him, he get, it's a, I think it's a two-way deal. I'm pretty sure it's a, it's a, in baseball, it's not called a two-way. It's called a minor league contract with a major league option out of camp, uh, which I'd 
I have a hard time believing he won't get, considering how horrible the Rockies are. Uh, obviously, I wish nothing but the best for him. He was awesome here. Even when he was hurt, he was still doing stuff with the team and, and stuff like that. So so I, I obviously wish nothing but the best for him. He became a fan favorite here, even though he played like 12 games <laughs> here. Um, so And seeing him get to go to Coors is, is awesome. That's that's going to be really fun, seeing seeing uh, a power bat like that go to Coors Field is always intriguing. So uh, hopefully he can uh, he can turn it around here and then uh, if he doesn't get hurt, he's he's honestly he's probably back on the Tigers. Um, and at a minimum, he's somewhere. He's somewhere solidified major league roster if he doesn't get hurt. I I believe that um, he looked really good in in the short and. If it was a full 162, maybe it'd be hard for me to say that. But, you know, he got hurt like 10 games into a 60-game season. He was probably going to be around what he was at, you know. So, CJ Crone not coming back, which means Renato Nunez is probably your first baseman going into the season. Probably is your first baseman going into 2021. Which I'm fine with, I guess. I, I don't know. Like, we, we already talked about him the day he got signed. Like, he, the dude finds barrels for a living and finds barrels at at an elite level. Um, but, I don't know, man. I You know, I, I just want us to spend money on, like, proven good players. And I know we're not there yet. And, like... It, <laughs> Maybe when these kids start getting called up, that that's when that'll happen. But gosh, I I just miss being good. Any of these teams, I just miss being good. The Pistons gave me a little a little taste of reminder of what it was like to be a good team over the weekend. But um, the the thing with with Crone leaving now and and Renato definitely being first base is that my uh, my projected lineup again that. Uh, I put out during last episode, I thought was like, I don't, this isn't me like trying to be an a-hole or be like, I know more than everybody. I just genuinely didn't think it was, I thought it was common knowledge. I thought that was like, I thought the nine people I put out there, every single Tiger fan would have been like, yeah, no, that's probably what the opening day lineup's going to be. Apparently I was, I was extremely mistaken. Um, the, the Twitter world, let me know that that was, that was absolutely not the case. My mentions were in absolute shambles for about 12 hours. Um, and because of two things, mostly one, mostly one position, but quite a majority had, had another position too. So We'll start with ones that everyone agrees with. The seven of the nine that everyone agreed with, okay? Um, Ramos at catcher, no one disagrees with. Renato Nunez at first, no one disagrees with. Scope at second is pretty obvious. Candy at third is pretty obvious. Jacoby in center and Grossman in left, both pretty obvious. Now, the problem ones... First off, I don't. I really, really would like to not talk about this dude ever again, but apparently it's impossible in this fan base because for whatever reason, he's the most controversial player in the city. In right field, I had Nomar Mazzara, who is a plus defender and who hits the piss out of the baseball. A lot of people, way too many people were telling me that Victor Reyes, I had one person literally say verbatim, this lineup would win more games or would be better with, because the question, um, Nate Temple, the guy that, that runs the Instagram account I do videos and lives for, um, 2021 World Series champs is what it's called, um, he did like a graphic for my lineup and put it out there. And the caption he said was how many games is this lineup winning? 
And yeah, one of them said not as much as if Victor Reyes was starting in right field. Oh my gosh. I'm so tired of talking about this guy. And I guess this is why he's controversial because his his following is so strong that it just demoralizes and and beats his his non-stands senselessly. I Victor Reyes is not that good. Please use any other stat besides batting average, and I promise you he blows. He doesn't blow. That's just me exaggerating because I'm mad that people think he's good. He's a solid fourth outfielder. He can play all four outfield positions, right? So whenever any of the three need a day off, Victor Reyes is getting PT. He's playing that position in center or in right or in left which is valuable. Every good team needs a fourth outfielder. Every team, period, needs a fourth outfielder. He provides value. That being said, he is not an everyday starting outfielder for the love of everything. I don't care that his batting average was almost 300. I literally could not give less of a damn. Look at any other stat. Batting average does not equal good player. This is 2021. Why do we still have people that think batting average determines how good you are as a baseball player? This is the most analytically inclined sport on the planet. You can find out things that you should have no business finding out. You can figure out what color underwear these dudes wear. And, and what his, his war is which each, with each color. There is no excuse for people to still be using batting average as an argument to why someone's good. Because someone batting 300 in a 60-game season does not make you good. I really don't want to spend any more time on this man because the other one is the way more popular one. And I actually think that he could have a future. The other guy could have a future of being relevant in this system, in this organization, I should say. Victor Reyes is like 27, 28 years old. He is what he is. And he's a fourth outfielder. Nomar Mazzara has way more upside, and we didn't bring him in for nothing. He also, Nomar can't play center field. I'm not sure why we would bring in a fourth outfielder that can only play one outfield position. Nomar starting in right. Jacoby starting in center. Grossman starting in left. And Victor Reyes is the fourth outfielder of this baseball team. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. I would love to never speak about him again, but I'm quickly realizing that that's probably impossible. Because, again, for whatever reason, he is the most controversial player in this city, and I don't know why. And I don't want to just repeat everything I've said with previous ones, but I will just say, I've said it a million times, he is a Rule 5 success story that does not mean he's an all-star. Most Rule Fivers are done by the end of the season. They play one year of Major League Ball, if that, and never again. Very few Rule Five picks amount to anything. So the fact that he's on our roster three years later and still getting important, meaningful playing time three years after the Rule Five, he's a success story. He is. That by no means means that he is some all-star caliber player and and should be starting every day for any team. Nonetheless, our team. Okay. Now, the shortstop position was the other one. I had Nico Goodrum at short. Uh, Nico Goodrum hit horribly in uh, 
in the year 2020, but was a Gold Glove finalist. So uh, I figured he was the most proven shortstop on the team. He can play the position of shortstop. This is not very controversial. Sure, we're going to put him there. He, I mean, he was good enough defensively to where his OPS was under 600, and he still had a, a, a non-negative war. His war, I think, was exactly zero, uh, depending on which website you look at. So he was pretty good defensively, um, but he was absolutely garbage offensively. And again, I just figured we don't have anyone on this roster that can actually play the position of shortstop, so that's where Nico's going to play. Apparently. That was a very controversial take. That was the most common disagreement. Uh, people only disagree with those two positions, and the the shortstop one was was by far the most popular disagreement. Um, a lot of people are wondering where Willie Castro is. Where's Willie Castro? Why is he not in the lineup? This lineup would win more games with Willie Castro at short. Okay. Um. I totally get, I totally understand that this team has had like no major league talent for the better part of three years now, four years, pretty much no major league talent to speak of. And especially not any young talent, no talent that's going to like, Hey, this guy's a rookie. He's going to be here through the rebuild, whatever. All of our talents in the minor leagues, we finally got a guy. And he had an incredible rookie year. And he, I, again, I say this all the time. I think he should have got runner up for rookie of the year. I really think he got fourth. I think he should have got second. He outwarded Luis Robert. And Luis Robert unanimously won second place. I think he should have got second. Okay. That being said, Willie Castro is one of the worst defensive shortstops. Saying he's one of the worst defensive shortstops in baseball literally doesn't do it justice to how bad he is at the position. Statistically. Now, he he has the, the I don't know, build, I guess you'd say. He has the ability to. It's not like, it's not like we're putting Miguel Cabrera at shortstop and it's like some dude that just it's impossible for him to, to, to get any better. He had, you know, he's young, athletic, lean guy. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, it's not physical ability that's holding him back, I guess is what I'm trying to say. That being said, he is actually horrible. He's been horrible. It wasn't like he was just horrible this year because uh, I got a few people, um, I had so many people talk about Willie Castro that I felt like I should put something out there to explain my reasoning. So I did. And I, I said, uh, you know, basically that neither of these guys is going to be the shortstop past this year. If everything goes correctly, uh, neither of them should be. Um, but one of these guys can play the position of shortstop and one can't. So that's really all my logic was. If, and on top of that, Willie Castro's been in the majors for 60 games and hit well for 30 of them. He came up for 30 games in 2019 and was horrible at the plate. Horrible. As well as just as bad as he was in 2020 in the field, which was terrible. I am not putting a guy as my opening day starting shortstop that A, can't play shortstop. I'm not sure why that's just ignored by so many people. The dude literally cannot play the position of shortstop. He had negative seven defensive run saves in 30 games. I, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, that should be the end of the conversation in my eyes. If I, if I had the lineup card, that would be the end of the discussion. Who can play shortstop on this team? Oh, one person? Well, guess what? That person's playing shortstop. I don't care how he hits. I'm not just going to put Miguel Cabrera at shortstop 
because he hits better than the guy that's actually playing there. If you can't play the position, you can't play the position. So, again, in my eyes, that's the end of the conversation. But then I, I added on top of that, I was like, look, and, and also, he's hit well for 30 games. Nico, while far from even an average major league hitter, he is below average at the plate. Absolutely. He, I'm not trying to say Nico's some incredible hitter because he's absolutely not. But he's a, a four-year veteran that actually can play the position of shortstop. So, I said that, and I said, Willie's only hit well for 30 games. I'm not going to make him the opening day starter. And and it, look, if he, if he OPSed over 900 like he did in 30 games of 2020, okay, if he did that, over a full 162, we would have a different conversation. I'd probably say, screw it. He can be the worst defensive shortstop of all time. He's gonna, he's going to still provide positive war to this team because of how well he hits. He hit well for 30 games, and he's only been in the league 60 games. And the other 30 games, he was garbage. You're not my opening day starter when you hit well for 30 games and you can't play the position that you want to play. And I also said this. I have not. I think he he he's proven that he has a high a high ceiling, a reasonably high ceiling, um, at the plate. I think he could develop into something. Not at shortstop. He will never be a shortstop. I don't care if you think that Willie Castro is a future all-star in baseball. Okay? You can totally think that. That I, you know, my opinion is no, is null. It's irrelevant. Even if you think that Willie Castro is a future all-star in the MLB, he's not at shortstop. He will never be. And, and people are like, oh, you can develop. You can develop. You can develop. People that are slightly below average to be slightly above average. You cannot develop Prince Fielder type defensive shortstop numbers into an average shortstop. That's not how sports work. You don't just put someone at a position they can't play and then a season down the line they're great at it. That That's just not, that's not how it works. You could maybe make him go from one of the worst defensive shortstops in baseball to, like, below average, I guess. But even that's pushing it. Like, I I just don't think people really grasp how horrible his defensive numbers are. They're, They're astronomically terrible. They're not a little bad. They're not kinda bad. They're not, oh, with some development he could be fixed. They are unbelievably like some of the worst you will ever see. He is horrid at the position of shortstop. Okay. So, and I, again, I admit it. If you can find another spot on the diamond for him, be my guest, be my guest. I, I'd love to get his bat into the lineup and, and give him some at bats because I'd love to see what he can do with them. Just not at shortstop. And, and what I want is irrelevant because he's going to play a lot of shortstop this year regardless because we don't have a backup shortstop. We barely have a starting shortstop. Nico, Nico Goodrum's a utility man. So he's going to get plenty of ABs. You know, me saying that he's not going to be the opening day starting shortstop does not mean that Willie Castro is just not going to play this year. He's going to play a lot of games. He's going to get plenty of opportunities. So it's really not that big of a deal. But that is my reasoning as to why it was apparently very controversial. Um, And the only other part I'll bring up is I had several people tell me that it was unfair to use small sample size offensively, but defensively, um, it absolutely is fair. That's really not how defensive metrics like that work. Um it's it's a hundred percent fair. It's a million percent fair. Uh, 
people go on 30 game stretches where they o- they OPS a thousand very often. People that are are not good actually do it very often. Uh Willie Castro was horrible defensively in his 35 games or whatever in 2020. Was horrible defensively in his 30 games in 2019 and was bad defensively when he played shortstop in the minors. This isn't this isn't a one-time sample size thing. And 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 then you look at offensively, he's never put up as good of numbers as he did in 2020 at any professional level, not even remotely close. Sure as hell not in his first major league stint in 2019. So it absolutely is fair. It's 100% fair to me for me to use that. Okay, I think I've said my piece, and I'm way over my time anyway. Um, and you know, I, I, I love these discussions. So if you know, I, I love back and forth with people and talking about and and seeing things from from other people's perspectives. So if you still have opinion on it, you know, feel free to 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 call me an idiot and at me on Twitter. But um, that's that's where my head is at. That's where my head is at with with my reasoning. On the projected lineups. Okay, I am way over time here. Let's ride. The Detroit Basketball Pistons are on a win streak, baby. For the first time this year, we are on a freaking winning streak. Boom. Two games straight. Three of our last four. Look, man. If you're a title contender and you come into LCA, you're fixing to lose. That's all there is to it. You're fixing to lose. Okay. Uh, what a fun weekend. What a fun weekend for this team. Okay. Um, let's go over the games. First off, we won a close game to the Boston Celtics. Game took about the, the last 20 seconds, took about 45 minutes. But we came out on top. Uh, Jeremy Grant was, uh, he was okay. He was fine defensively is the shooting numbers just really weren't there. Uh, Blake was pretty much what Blake's been all year. Nothing fantastic. Um, one of the fun stories for the year is DeLon Wright. DeLon Wright continues to be fantastic. His last five games have been unbelievable. Unbelievable his last five games. I mean, he, he's a point guard, and he's putting up 22-6-7 in this one. Uh, and 7 of 9 shooting, 1 of 1 from 3. He's, he, he had an opportunity where we pretty much, once Killian went down and D. Rose got traded, and now uh, Dennis Smith Jr. slowly kind of getting worked in, he's really the only, the only sure point guard on the roster currently. So he's going to play, you know, a lot of minutes, and he's taking advantage of them. So good for him. Props to him. Um, he might be playing his way into being like a, a solid rotation player for this team going forward when we're competitive again, honestly, or if he plays super well, uh, you might be able to flip him for a second or, uh, or he can go get paid, you know, and, and I, I love seeing that. I love seeing stories of, of guys that are kind of no names that, that make a name for themselves and then go get paid. So good for him. He, he's setting himself very nicely. We talk about avenues all the time. He's creating a lot of avenues for himself, a lot of avenues, um, and, uh, and his future's got to be pretty exciting. Beef Stew was fine, 5.6 boards, few offensive, you know, he was fine. His, his presence was felt at a few defensive plays. He's just banging bodies down low. Wayne Ellington also continues his absolute cold streak. The dude was in Fuego for about two, two weeks. And then the last five games has been uh, been the exact opposite. He's been ice. So hopefully he can get a little hot again so that we can flip him. Uh, I'd love to get like a second-round pick out of him, man. Um, Josh Jackson was okay this game, not incredible. Then we get to the story of the evening. Sadiq Buckets Bay. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? Is that real? It, it was literally a you had to see it to believe it moment. 
It was one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen. Sadiq Bay, rookie off the bench, 30 points, 12 boards. 30 and 12 from a forward, okay? In 27 minutes, 30 and 12. Shot 10 of 12 from the field and 7 of 7 from 3, including the three-pointer to put it out of reach with 37 seconds, 40 seconds left in the fourth quarter. The dude was allergic to missing. Somebody walked up and said, please miss once so we know you're human. And he said, no, thank you. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He was a, a, a dog in this game. A menace. Oh, my gosh. It was unbelievable. And, and the thing that's so exciting about him, I've been saying it for, for weeks now. He is built to play NBA basketball. I don't know if these kind of games are, are going to be his career, but man, like he is built with the versatility to play the two, the three, and the four, the shooting and the ability to get boards and defend also the one through the four, honestly, probably the two through the four. Uh, he is built for the league, man. He is built to play NBA basketball. And whether that's a, a superstar or a, or a solid rotation guy that gives you 20 to 25 a night and, and you know, gets like six man of the year votes and any and anywhere in between, doesn't matter what, what you think his, his ceiling is, he is built for the league. His floor is incredibly high, I guess is what I'm trying to say. We talk about ceilings and floors all the time in sports. His ceiling could, could be anywhere. You could think his ceil his ceiling's all over the place. Ceiling's moving around like crazy. It's currently under construction. His floor is so high. So high. With that kind of versatility, that kind of shooting, that kind of defensive ability. At worst, at absolute worst, you turned your back end of the first round pick into a guy that's going to give you 20 to 25 off off the bench a night. Minutes that is. That is that is unbelievably valuable. It's an incredible value pick for where he was taken in the draft. Unbelievable pickup. Unbelievable pickup and like I said, no matter what you think his ceiling is, the floor for this guy might be one of the highest of any rookie in the league. For real. His, his bust percentage is some of the lowest I've ever seen. He is built for the league. He's going to be in the league for a long time. Hopefully he's going to be a piston for a long time. And and this game was, oh my. Inject it into my veins. So exciting to see that kind of play from a rookie. So exciting. Um and and he was scoring i mean clearly he was scoring at will he literally didn't miss a three on seven attempts but you know he he was the way he was getting the ways he was getting open were were incredible he looked like a veteran he really did he he's coming off screens like rip hamilton style just catch and shoot he created space on a couple of them had him just stared the dude straight into the face gave him a little a, a little hezzy Little hezzy jab fake. Popping in his grill. Money. Cash. Like, he looks so good, man. He looks so, and he looks so good on the defensive end, too, which I think, understandably, understandably, will go overlooked just because of how much of a coming out party it was on offense. But, man, when I tell you, this dude is built to play NBA basketball. That's the best way I can describe it, man. That's really the best way I can describe it. He is built for the league. Built for the NBA, built for the league. Okay? Then, we had the Pelican game last night where the Pistons won 123-112. to 
Uh, this one highlighted by Mason Plumley having a first career triple-double. <laughs> Mason Plumley, been inactive for the last two games, comes back 17-10-10 on 8 of 12 shooting. Mason Plumley is not going to be part of the long-term plans of like when this team is, is hopefully contending for titles again that um, he's going to be like the starting center. However, it is important that he does well because a lot of people initially thought that he, he, he was overpaid, right? People thought he was overpaid, and and a lot of some people thought he was significantly overpaid. Um, I don't think you're going to be able to move him this year. I don't think that's really in the cards. I don't think anyone wants two and a half years of that contract with with, you know, it's Mason Plumley. But if he does well this year, has a solid season, and then gets hot around, you know, first half, maybe toward the deadline next year, I could see us being able to flip him. He would have $4 million for the second, due to him for the second. He's getting paid eight, eight mil, eight and a half mil a year. So he'd have around four mil the second half if you moved him at the deadline. Uh, the second half of next year, and then only eight mil on the books, which is really not that bad. I think I, I even said at the time you can go you can go look at my my video. I even said at the time I think people are a little overreacting to how like twenty four million sounds like a lot, but over three years that you know eight million AAV for a a team that didn't have a starting center when we signed them was you know. I think people really kind of overreact to that just because 24 seems like a lot. Um, so I think that it's possible we can move him next year. And worst case scenario is he's going to get moved. Um, I, I don't think he finishes out the end of his third year on the contract with the Detroit Pistons. I just don't think that's uh, really possible. So... <laughs> Uh, maybe not. It's possible. I don't think it's likely. I don't think it's in the cards. I think he probably gets moved. Okay. Um, other standouts, this game, Delon Wright again, 17, seven and six dudes taking most of the opportunity given to him. I think, uh, uh, a Delon Wright, Dennis Smith, Jr. Killian Hayes guard situation is super exciting, super exciting to end the season on that. Hopefully Killian can come back, uh, healthy. Sadiq also got his first career start, played damn near 40 minutes, and killed it. He had 16, 4, and 6 on 6 of 11 shooting, 4 of 8 from 3, along with 3 steals. Because why not? Built for the league. Built for the league. Sadiq Bay, Jeremy Grant, again, 2-3 games in a row now where he hasn't shot very well. 15, 2, and 4, 4 of 15 from the field, 3 of 7 from 3. Um, Ellington was pretty irrelevant. This is the big one, uh, this game. Beef was pretty fine, too. Dennis Smith Jr. had a great, uh, his first pretty solid game for the Pistons, 12 minutes, 9 points uh, on 50% shooting. The other big one besides Plumlee this game, though, was Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson... Uh, has been in fuego, really, the last three games, uh, the last four games even. Um, and that was he, – he was phenomenal last night. 21 minutes, 21 points, three boards, 8 of 14 shooting, 2 of 3 from 3. The man. He's the man. I think Josh Jackson ha is – Again, playing himself into being a very important piece for this team for the future if we decide to, to extend him. This was a project. This was a guy that was given up on by the Phoenix Suns. That shows you the, the depths of where he was at one point. The Phoenix Suns, the pre-Chris Paul Phoenix Suns blow, and he was given up on by them. Um, came back home. He's from here, came back home, got his support system, had some off the court stuff. And, and he's been incredible this year. He's been an incredible story, turnaround story off the court and on the court playing his heart out. 
He plays with a lot of passion, which was one of the problems that people highlighted when he was with Phoenix. People would say, oh, he just doesn't look like he cares out there. He's not trying. This dude, uh, again, maybe it's just playing for the hometown team or something. You can't convince me this dude does not care. He's calling Ben Simmons a bitch to his face, bro. It's my favorite clip. You a bitch, shut up. He's talking smack to people. How about the blatant goaltend last night? And then, like, dunk facing him after. I mean, like, you might get the points, but you ain't watching it go into the hoop. I love it, man. I love it. I love Josh Jackson. I love the the, the his personality that he brings to this team. Um, I think it's awesome to see his story and, and the turnaround story he's had. Just, uh, uh, and he's still so young, dude, like this, he could really be part of this team for, for a minute going forward. He really could. Um, the only other person I wanted to point out again in this one was Svi. Svi, finally, finally, man. And look, he's a shooter and shooters shoot. So people are like, why does he keep shooting? What shooters shoot? That's his game. He, he, he's a white forward in the NBA. He, he's meant to shoot, okay? So, 18 points, 7-11 from the field, 4 of 8 for 3. Finally had that, that speed game we've been looking for. Pistons are on a win streak, baby. I am ecstatic. I'm ecstatic. Beef Stew looked good this weekend. Uh, Josh Jackson, Sadiq Bey, just... It's a fun time to be a Pistons fan. It's it's the most entertaining tank like of all time. And the best part is, is we're still not very good. We're still probably going to lose a lot of games. And uh, this core, this solid core that everyone's so pumped about, uh, has a legit chance to, uh, to add a damn good player this offseason. A damn good player. At the top of the draft. All right. The Detroit Hockey Red Wings played the Nashville Predators. Uh, well, if you follow me on Twitter, you would notice that um, I tweeted my recap video and accidentally had the Florida Panthers instead of the Nashville Predators and had deleted and resend it. So that's always annoying. Um, this was the best hockey game we played in a minute, to be honest with you. Um, I was super pleased. Uh, the defense, uh, you know what? I want to start on a happy note. Fabry was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Put one in the back of the net. Uh, has the, what, two of the last three games or two, two games in a row? I can't remember. My memory's shot, but, uh, Robbie Fabry, man is, is he's looking really well. And the cool thing about him, you know, is I'm going to sound, it's going to sound like I'm talking about the Pistons still. He's only 25. Um, you know, this is a guy we got, uh, mid season last year, right? Man with COVID, it just seems like eight years ago, just last season, I guess. Um, and he's only 25. He's only 25 years old, and um, I think that he is, especially the last five games, he's looked so good, man. If, if he can keep up that, that level of play, um, this is a guy that could be a, a solid second or third liner when, when, we are, when we're competitive again. You know what I mean? I, I mean, this is a, especially at center. Lord knows, and you know, you could always use more centers. If he can be a, a solid, like, top-end third-line center when we're trying to be competitive and, and make playoff runs again, hell yeah. Hell yeah, man. I, I, I really think uh, I think the sky is, is you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to come out here and say that he's going to be some all-star, but I, I think that he is, he is showing why we wanted him, and he is showing that he is not one of these filler pieces that we're just trying to wait out their contract for and then get them off the team so we can fill them in with new talent. He is he is playing like and trying to prove that he is a, a guy that, 
that could be a wing for quite a long time and is playing him on to his audition tape for being on this team when we're competitive again is looking damn good. It's looking damn good. Uh, He's had a couple of great games in a row here. Mantha also played what I would say is his best game of the season. Truly. I think Mantha just played his best hockey game of the 2021 season. Which is awesome. Because, you know, infamously on Lockdown Red Wings, um, I claimed that Anthony Mantha would be a point-a-game player this year, uh, and he has not looked very good. He's gone on a couple of stretches where he's looked uh, a lot better, but not any consistent play. Last night was the best he has looked this year. He looked phenomenal. Put one in the back of the net. On a beautiful shot. Oh my gosh. A, a, a beautiful, beautiful shot. Um, and had, I think, three or four shots in the game. Uh, he's had a couple of games in a row where he's he's had a lot of shot attempts, which is great. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, plus minus is, is one of my least favorite stats. I think it's too, super arbitrary and absolutely does not hold any value in how good a player is. Um, that being said, his plus minus was like three. <laughs> yeah, let me just destroy this stat and talk about how it has no actual value and then use it to say why I think he's good. But in all seriousness, that he looked phenomenal. He looked absolutely phenomenal. Um, couple of good passes. I thought, I don't know. Uh, with him, it just seems like there's a switch, man. And when he flips it on, it's on. But it doesn't seem like it's on all the time. So it, it sure as hell was on last night. So so whatever whatever we got to do to encapsulate that, that Anthony Manta, that's a point-of-game player right there, baby. That's a point-of-game player. Uh, on Wednesday's show, we will talk about tonight's game, uh, which is... The Wings and the Blackhawks, baby. Um, I'll I'll just say this, okay. I don't care if if there's a eight way tie for last place. Let's just pretend there's an eight way tie for last, and we're one of the teams. And if we win, we get like the ninth pick in the draft, or have the ninth best odds in the lottery. And if we lose. We get the best lots in the lottery. There couldn't even be a lottery. If the NHL just worked, if it was strictly draft position or strictly end of the standings position for draft position. If you were like, hey, man, last game of the season, we play the Hawks. If you lose, you're going to get the number one pick in the draft. If you win, you're going to get nine. Go out there and win, baby. I don't care. People call me an idiot. People think that I'm a, a, a bad fan or a dumbass for thinking that way it's the same thing with the Packers I don't give a damn I will never ever 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 be happy with losing to the Chicago Blackhawks ever I don't care what the situation is like I said I don't care if we if we lose eight draft positions because of a win. I don't give a damn. Worth it. You will never, ever catch me saying the words, I'm glad we lost to Chicago that one time. Just never going to happen. So we start a two-game stretch with them. Uh, one tonight and then one on Wednesday night, I believe. So it'll be fun. Uh, the only other... Game, uh, things I wanted to point out with the um, Preds game was Glenn Denning was phenomenal. Uh, again, Luke Glenn Denning is leading the league in faceoff win percentage and put one in the back of the net too. He actually looked phenomenal. He had a couple of really good passes, laid a dude out, kept winning faceoffs. Glenn Denning was was exceptional. Um. The power play continues to be horrible. I'm pretty sure we just dipped below 8%. 
or we're right above 8%. We're around 8%. It's horrible. It's really bad. We haven't scored a power play goal in... I, I, I don't know, man. I, I feel like... You know those memories that you have of like when you were in elementary school and they, they're like super vague and almost like seem like wavy? I don't know. Maybe I'm just messed up in the head, but like that's literally what it what it feels like. It's like I'm trying to remember so hard the last time we scored on a power play that it almost doesn't seem real. Like I almost can't remember it. It seems like it was 50 years ago. Um, so that needs to be fixed. And even with the, the as well as we looked on whatever day we played. What, Sunday? Jeez. Man. When did we play? Whatever. When we when we won. <laughs> um It was uh definitely Saturday, now that I think about it. Um So, that game, even though we looked incredible. Uh, Blashill still needs to go. Still can't stand the fact that he's here. I still think he absolutely needs to be canned. Um, and look, man, I, you know, we talked about it a couple of episodes ago. We had the one dude who was defending the decision and, and to keep him and, and saying, you know, the best coach in the history of the NHL wouldn't win games with this team. I agree with you. I don't want to change because I, I want us to win more. I, I understand our position. I understand we're tanking. I understand we're trying to lose almost. Um, at least the front office is. I understand all that. I, I'm not saying that this roster is fixable because of a head coach. What I am saying is that he's not the future of the team. And I think he is making decisions that are so bad that they're costing players development. That's my two cents. And and I had, I said that to one dude, and his response was, wow, so you think you're smarter than Steve Eiserman because he hasn't fired him yet, so wow, you must think you're smarter than Steve Eiserman. I, I can't believe that that actually came out of someone's mouth. That, For sure, man, yeah. This dude went on Twitter, a forum that is just meant for people to spew their opinions on things. So, I guess that guy has never disagreed with any front office decision that that any of his favorite teams have ever made. Or else he'd be implying that he knew more than the general manager. That's such an absurd thing to say to someone. No, I don't think I know more than Steve Eiserman. Obviously. He's one of the best GMs in the sport. One of the probably... If it, if, if it goes our way, going to go down as one of the best GMs in the history of the sport. No, I don't think I'm smarter than Steve Eiserman. Jeez. <laughs> Absolutely absurd. Okay. Uh, the only other thing I want to say, shout out to Bernier. Okay. This defense is still horrible. And the dude played on his head and, and still gave up two. Uh, but the offense was so good Saturday that it didn't matter. Um, it's just incredible to me how how the defense can be so bad that the goalie can look so good and we can still lose and give up like two, three goals. This defense is still horrible. Do not get it twisted. Still terrible. Also, people give me crap because apparently I say don't get it twisted a lot. Didn't even realize until someone pointed it out to me. Um, apparently, I don't. I feel like I don't say it a lot in like real life, but apparently in podcast form, it's like one of my favorite sayings. I'll have to go back and listen, but apparently I love it. I love it. All right. So that's the only other thing I want to bring up. Just the fact that the defense is still terrible, and the, I feel bad for, for the goalies. I feel bad for Grice and, and Bernier so much. <laughs> um, and... Uh, they they have to play on their head to even have like a ninety percent save percentage just by how terrible this D, because of how terrible this D is. So good win, offense shows a lot of promise. I think this offense is actually headed in a really respectable direction. Um, the power play obviously needs work. Some of the lines need work, um, and the defense is is Lions esque 
levels of terrible. Um, so, Blackhawks tonight. That'll be fun. Let's go on to the last team, the Detroit football lines. This will probably be a shorter one. Um, not a lot of, of news with the Lions over the weekend. We're kind of in that dead time of the offseason for them. Um, but uh, it's the Lions. So, uh, you know, honestly, with football, we, we always got something to talk about. Uh, the final Matt Stafford interview, his, his, his walk away interview, uh, was released at, at the end of last week, I believe. Um, just a really bittersweet kind of moment, you know. Um, I love the return. I think we we did an unbelievable job at, at the return we got. I am so happy with it. I, like literally a plus plus. I I have a I have a hard time believing that that there was ever a possibility of us getting an even close to the level of return that we got. I am ecstatic with the return. Um, and, and like I said, a plus trade, but you know, it's nine, it's nine, man. It's, 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 uh, it's very bittersweet. Um, talked a lot about, you know, they, they tr- really try to get information out of them. And, and Matt's always been kind of a closed book. So, um, they run a type shit over the ship. Jeez. A tight ship over there in the Stafford household. Um, so he, uh, he he explained that it was pretty mutual and that the front office reached out to him and wanted to see where his head was at. And he was like, well, you know, uh, let's look at both of our situations. I'm kind of starting to head into the, the back end of my career. You guys are about to head into a massive rebuild what's best for both sides. And, and they both kind of said, you know what, as sad as it is, it probably makes sense for, uh, for both of us to go in different directions, which is, is heartbreaking. But at the same time, um, I'm really happy for him. I'm really happy for his family. They get to live in LA now. That's kind of (laughs) awesome. Um, but they, they love the hell out of this city, man, him and Kelly, even though she called it a dictatorship, they loved the hell out of this place. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's very bittersweet. That, that's really the best way to put it. Very bittersweet. The interview was, was pretty, um, pretty, it wasn't really telling. I'm not sure we really learned anything new, but it was, it was, I, I enjoyed watching it. It was, it was something that, um, I, I think was almost kind of kind of needed. I think he needed to have one kind of final goodbye where he laid it all out there, um, and and gave his side to everything. So happy for him. Uh, you know, people are like, oh, you're an idiot for for wanting them to win. You should want draft picks. Sue me. Don't really care. I do care, but you're not going to catch me booing a Stafford-led team. Or rooting against, I should say, a Stafford-led team. That's just not going to happen. Um, so if they lose, you know, it's a win-win for me. That's how I view it. Everybody's so negative these days, man. I just view it as a win-win. If the Rams lose, we get better picks. If they win, Stafford wins. So win-win in my eyes. Um, then the uh, that's a good segue into the draft, which is what we'll end on. Um, the draft. I still am trying to figure out kind of where my head's at, man. I, I think I'm gonna put up a poll. Um, I also put up a Tigers poll. We'll talk about that on Wednesday. But with the the Crone thing and the with the insane response my lineup got, I think it was important to talk about that. Um. And kind of lay out my reasoning um, for that. There is, uh, I think I'm going to put out a poll on what people want our draft strategy to be. Because I've started listening to other people. And like I said in a couple episodes ago, I'm, 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 I'm really lost, honestly. I, I really have no idea what I want. At, at I, I know, here's what I do know. I know for a fact 
if Justin Fields is at seven, he better be in Honolulu Blue next year. That I am sure of. Very sure of that. Okay. Um. It, now, if he is gone before seven, that's where we get in this situation of, oh my gosh, I I really am not sure what I what I want. Um. It's, oh, I don't know. Oh, the Pistons Spurs game got postponed Tuesday, so I guess we won't be talking about that on Wednesday's show. Um, here's the thing. I'm still not convinced that we need to take a QB at seven. I've listened to some great people, some people way smarter than me, when it comes to the the draft world and the football world, talk about how it's how they really want someone at seven. They really want a QB rather at seven. Um, the, the back judge podcast, which I've, I've talked about multiple times. Those guys do a great job. Um, and they seem to be a lot more adamant than I about uh, a, a quarterback needs to be taken at seven. The best QB available needs to be taken at seven. I'm not sure I'm there yet. And that's just because, in my eyes, you know, Goff is going to be the starter. If you draft someone and they outplay Goff, then you just have the most expensive backup in the league, which who really cares? You can cut him after two years, and that's when all of his guaranteed money goes away. Fine. But with Goff comes security, I guess. Like, I don't see a need to rush into like you have to take a QB at seven. And maybe this logic is flawed, man. And again, I, I as we get closer to draft day, I, I'm sure this these conversations will become more and more plentiful. And I'm sure people will reach out to me and 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 again, as as long as you're nice, <laughs> you know what I mean? Pe- people get way too mad way too fast over sport opinions on Twitter, man. But like I, I love having like debates and, and, and conversations with people about about this kind of stuff. So like I would love to have a conversation about why why it's it's so important in some people's eyes to take a QB at seven this year. because uh, I, I really I, I don't understand it. I really don't. I, I think if if you're looking at it going, I want obviously everyone wants Lawrence, that's not happening. I want Lawrence or Fields. And the other two guys aren't my guys. I don't understand the, the need at seven overall with how horrible this defense was to just say, screw the defense completely. We need a quarterback this year, even though he's not even going to start for like two years. I don't know. I think, and I, I understand, you know, looking ahead is a big part of this and, and next year's QB class doesn't look like it's as strong as this one, but you have you have golf under contract for four years. Worst case scenario, I I just think he gives you the safety net, right? He gives you that that protection of hey man, if 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 you don't like any of the QBs available at your draft slot, you don't have to take one because even if you don't draft a QB for the next four years, which I think is stupid and should never be a thing, you have a starting quarterback for the next four years if you want it. I don't see a need to rush and, and absolutely take someone at seven, I guess is my point. Um, I, And again, if Fields is there, you best get him in this city. He, he best be on, on a, on a first-class fight to, to Motown if he's there at seven. I'm, I'm totally with that. But if he's gone, I, I, I don't know. And maybe maybe that's just me not being convinced of the other two guys, uh, the other two quarterbacks, than it is not, um, not wanting a quarterback. But I don't know, man. I I I'm not as pressed currently. You know, it's February fifteenth. We're two months away from the draft. I'm not as pressed currently as like, hey, we we have to get a quarterback this year and start develop developing him asap. Again, 
you got a quarterback for the next two to four years. Two, whether you like it or not. Four, if you want it. I don't know. I don't know. We'll uh, we'll definitely talk about that more as draft season gets closer and as mocks start coming out and and player profiles and all that jazz. Uh, we'll probably have a, a reoccurring seg- segment on here uh, the weeks leading up to, to draft day talking about mocks and draft analysis because NFL draft season is a riot. And uh, people ask me my opinion of, of players and stuff all the time, so that'll be kind of a fun thing to do. Um, but that will do it for the Detroit Lions, which means that'll do it for our show. Thank you so much for listening. I continue to have an absolute blast doing this. The connections I've made just in in single-digit episodes. We're at episode 8. The connections I've made through 8 are already unbelievable. Um, The the audience I've reached is unreal. It's awesome. And uh, the people that have reached out to me to to talk to me about how much they they enjoy it and they look forward to it every day and stuff, it's, it's really awesome to hear. So thank you so much for your continued support. Thank you for listening. This has been The Bentley Show. I am Scott Bentley. Uh, Peace and love. Going to therapy is dope. What else do I got to say? I think that's about it, man. I think that's it, baby. I will see you all Wednesday. Go Detroit Sports, baby.